Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hi, if we haven't met, I'm Matt Van Cleve, teaching pastor at Blue Oaks. Uh, In the story we look at today, we see David is guilty of lust and coveting and deceit, and he becomes an adulterer and a murderer. Uh, And the question that gets asked from a lot of people is, how could it happen? I mean, how could David allow that to happen to his life? And I want to turn the question around for a moment and pose it like this. Uh, Who is so much more spiritual than David that what happened to him could not happen to you or me? I think this story brings us to a real hard truth that we don't like to face or talk about a lot, especially in the church. And that is that every human being, everyone, is fallen and we all wrestle with sin, all of us, until the day we die. It's a real serious struggle and it's your struggle and it's my struggle. We sometimes divide sin into two categories. We never talk about it like this, but sometimes there are the acceptable sins and then there are the inexcusable sins. Well, God doesn't see sin that way. God just sees sin. He just sees fallen people. Uh, And I don't know about you, but personally, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I see my own fallenness and brokenness. And the truth about me is sometimes I sin and sometimes I don't, uh, but it's not because I'm super spiritual. Uh, Often I think it's because I don't think I could get away with it. But David could get away with it, or at least he thought he could. And that's a real dangerous position uh, for anyone. I think a great problem in the church is we tend to underestimate our fallenness. I think that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Uh, Paul is saying the one who thinks he doesn't struggle with sin or fallenness anymore is really the most vulnerable of all. Uh, So I wanna walk through what I think are four spiritual warning lights in the story of David's life. And I want us to learn from them because I believe uh, we may see these same warning lights in our lives at one point or another. Uh, David just ignores three of them. And every time he ignored one, things got worse. Uh, The first warning light is in 2 Samuel 11, starting at verse one. The following spring, the time of year when kings go to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to destroy the Ammonites. In the process, they laid siege to the city of Rabbah, but David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, David got out of bed after taking a nap and went for a stroll on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. All right, so this is the beginning of the story, and the first warning light is in verse 1. And I'm calling this warning light boredom. Uh, We see it in the last sentence of the first verse where the writer says the king's men and the whole Israelite army went off to war, but David remained in Jerusalem. 
Uh, now, there's a very significant statement in verse 1, uh, the time of year when kings go to war. Uh, it was just like how baseball teams go to Arizona for spring training every year. Uh, that was just the time of year that battles would get fought. But David thought to himself, this year, I don't want to go. I don't have to go. Let them go without me, which was something that he could do because he was the king. Most scholars think there's something significant going on with David that the writer is giving us a clue about. Uh, we can kind of read between the lines. Uh, it was generally believed that David was about 50 years old at this time. Uh, he wasn't an old man yet, but he wasn't young anymore either. Uh, women didn't look at him the same way they used to. Uh, what did he want? Uh, David didn't know. Uh, he wanted to feel young. Uh, he wanted to feel alive. Uh, he was bored. And he was restless, and he was a little lonely. And so he decided he would stay home. But what he apparently didn't decide was to talk to God about this. The writer of scripture tells us David's real problem in 2 Samuel 12. Uh, here's Nathan talking to David. Then Nathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you his house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. God says to David, I've been caring for you your whole life, and I want the best for you. And I've given you so much. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you so much more. Why didn't you just come to me? Why didn't you ask me? Why didn't you talk to me? I wonder how often God has said that to us. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you so much more. I mean, if more is what it took to make you content, God would just keep giving you more. But of course, more doesn't usually do it. But David's problem is he didn't trust that God really did have his best interest at heart. He didn't trust that God was that good. David thought, as many of us do uh, on a very deep level, that really when it comes down to it, I'm going to have to look out for myself. I can't really trust that if I abandon myself to God, that really he'll take care of me. I think that's what's behind so much of the sin in our lives. We just don't trust that God is that good, that he would say to us, if that had not been enough, I would have given you so much more. I think what David should have done was spend some time alone with God in order to find out what was really happening in his life, why he was feeling lonely and bored. Maybe he needed a new challenge. Maybe uh, the fear of aging and death had crept into his life and that meant that he needed a deeper experience of God's love for him. But he doesn't do that. He just stays home with no accountability and so he's open to temptation and sin. And I just wanna pause for a moment at this warning light because for some of us, this warning light is flashing in our lives. Maybe you're a little restless. Maybe you're a little bored. You're a little dangerous right now. Your motivation to obey and to serve God is low and it's getting lower. You're not sure why, but you're not close to God right now. You need to know that you are at a dangerous place. And so I wanna ask you, will you take the time to go to God and to pour out your heart to him? And will you trust that God knows enough and cares enough to have your best interest at heart?
Will you trust God enough to say, I'm a little bored and I'm in a little pain right now, but I'm going to stick real close to you. And I'm going to trust that there is a new and good season ahead of me at some point in spite of whatever disappointments I may have. I want to ask you to do that because you're at a critical place. Which brings us to a second warning light. First warning light is boredom. Second warning light is confrontation. Notice what happens. He sent someone to find out who she was. Uh, So an important word in this story is the word sent. Uh, It gets repeated over and over in this story. Mostly it's used of David. Mostly it's used to refer to the way David kind of plays God in people's lives to get what he wants. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. He has a specific temptation, and there's a warning light that goes off for him. And it's in the phrase, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Most likely this servant knows something about what's going on in David's mind. And this is a pretty gutsy thing to do. He says, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam? And David, isn't this the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David, this is someone's wife. This is someone's daughter. Be careful. And I want to pause before I go on because some of us have this warning light flashing. A very specific temptation has taken form in your mind. And maybe you haven't crossed any lines yet, but you're about to. And God has you listening today because I believe he wants to confront you. And so I want to ask you, will you stop and think about what the consequences will be if you cross that next line? You know, early on in my ministry, I was challenged by a friend to think about what the consequences would be for me if I decided to mishandle sexuality in my life. I was challenged to think about what I really believe and what my values really are and what might happen if I mishandle it. What I realized was I would disrupt my prayer life uh, and my worship. Uh, It would leave me with feelings of guilt Uh, It would damage intimacy with the person I most want to love. Uh, Mishandling this area of my life could destroy the ministry that I believe God has called me to. It would pass on a legacy that would damage the children that I love so much. Uh, It could cause me to become a hidden person, which is what I want to avoid most of all. Uh, Thinking about the consequences of mishandling this area of my life makes me get real clear on what kind of man I want to be and what kind of man I don't want to be. And I don't know what the right word is, but I encourage you, I want to challenge you, I want to exhort you, I want to confront you, whatever the right word is, be courageous enough to get alone with God and get real clear, because no one's going to do this for you. Get real clear on what it is that you believe and value to the core of your being and live that out. Well, David just ignores this warning light. This is someone's wife. This is someone's daughter. He just ignores it. This is what the writer of scripture says next. Then David sent for her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. And there's that word sent again. This time, he's not sending for information. He's sending for the woman, and he's using his power to get what he wants. Up to this point in the story, Everything works out the way David has planned. He sees, he wants, 
He inquires, he finds out, he sends for her, he sleeps with her, and then he sends her home. And then something happens that's not in his plan. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent a message to inform David. And there's that word sent again. Only this time, David is not the sender. This is not what David had planned. And this always happens with sin. Sin always sets into motion spiritually destructive forces that you cannot control, no matter how in control you think you are. Sin always does that. It may be external forces, pregnancy or something like that. It may be internal forces, the loss of integrity, the loss of character, the loss of innocence. But sin will always set into motion forces that you cannot control. And this brings David to the next warning light, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Have you ever ignored the check engine light in your car? <laughs> Thought to yourself, eh, it's not that serious, I'm sure it can wait. Or I don't have time to deal with this right now. Who watching has blown out an engine or caused hundreds or thousands of dollars in damage because you ignored the warning? Much like a check engine light, we experience many of the same warning lights as we see in David's story. Warning lights that we're not growing in Christ-centered living, that our progress has stalled or our faith needs to be challenged in a new way. We've developed a resource that can help you identify where you are in your spiritual journey and what can help you grow. We've launched the Spiritual Growth Assessment based on 15 years of research that focuses on eight beliefs shown to be the most transformative in a person's spiritual journey. For those who receive our Friday preview email, you can follow the link included and take the assessment or go to blueoakschurch.org and click the latest news. If you didn't receive the preview email, you can get on the email list by going to the latest news and scroll down to Get Connected or text CONNECT to 925-275-5520 and follow the link. Along with that, our next message series beginning on February 21st will be called GROW and will focus on these eight transformational beliefs. In preparation for this series, we've opened registration for GROW groups. These are small groups that will follow along each week exploring and deepening our understanding of these beliefs that guide us in a Christ-centered life. If you've never participated in a small group or it's been a while since you have, now is the time. Life change and spiritual growth happen best in community with others. And we have opportunities to be group leader. If you've never led a small group before, it might be the best next step in your spiritual growth. Or if you've led a group previously, now is an excellent opportunity to lead again. If you'd like to know more about leading a group or register for a group, head to blueoakschurch.org and click the latest news, then scroll down to small groups. All right, let's rejoin Matt as we continue with this story of David. Okay, so how will David respond now that the results of his sin have spun out of his control, uh, which they always do? First, there's the warning light of boredom. Uh, then there's the warning light of confrontation about a temptation you're about to give into. Now there's the warning light of consequences. How do you respond after you've sinned when you become aware that you've done wrong and the consequences start to unfold? 
You see, at this point, David could throw himself to his knees. Uh, He could confess to God and to Bathsheba and to Uriah and to his people what he did, and uh, he could repent and try to set things right. He could do that. He could go down that road, but he doesn't. He decides to go down a darker road. He still thinks he can control things. Now the word sent gets used a lot more from this point forward. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go go on home and relax, which was a euphemism for go home and sleep with your wife. But Uriah wouldn't go home. He stayed that night at the palace entrance with some of the king's other servants. When David heard what Uriah had done, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter with you? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents and Joab and his officers are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear I will never be guilty of acting like that. Well, stay here tonight, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. David is willing to commit murder And it's not just a moment of passion, it's calculated, cold-blooded murder. So Joab assigned Uriah to the spot close to the city wall where where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And Uriah was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Then tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us, he said. And as we chased them back to the city gates, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of our men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword kills one as well as another. Fight harder the next time and conquer the city. Now remember, This is the same mouth that sang songs to God and prayed prayers to God and defied Goliath in God's name. Now David has reached a level of deceit and hypocrisy that is just evil. And he committed himself to a strategy of covered up. The consequences of sin will always lead to one of two results, either repentance, confession, and restitution, or cover-up and more sin. It always leads to one or the other. I'll give you an example. A student watches TV when she ought to study, and then she lies to her teacher about not studying. She then cheats on the test to avoid flunking, and then she feels a little guilty about cheating and a little jealous about classmates who did a better job than her, and so she gossips about them to feel better about herself. It's just one sin after the next, after the next. It's like a cancer. Now, David is almost finished. He's just about got it covered up. In verse 27, the verb sent is used once more. 
When Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, and he's done it. He's gotten away with it, and no one will ever know. David thought the great danger of his life was that someone might find out. But of course, that wasn't the greatest danger. His greatest danger was that no one would find out, and his soul would be completely destroyed. That's always the way it is with sin. Our great danger is that no one will find out and we'll just live in darkness. But David has one more warning light as one more character is introduced into this story. Uh, The end of chapter 11 introduces a character that has not been mentioned all the way up until now. Uh, And the old King James translates it like this. But the thing David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. David covered this up from just about everyone. He could scam the court, he could fool the army, he could kill Uriah, he could marry Bathsheba, he could adopt the baby, he could con the whole nation. But God sees everything with amazing clarity and he will call us all into account and his justice will not be avoided and he will not be fooled by the most clever cover-up. David's fourth warning light comes, and it involves the pronouncement of judgment, the judgment of God. This is his last chance. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. And I'm sure Nathan thought a lot about how he was going to approach the king. You know how it is when someone you love is going down the wrong road? Nathan has to find some way to get past David's defenses and the hardness of his heart. And so he thinks, and I'm sure he prays, and finally it's given to him. He'll tell David a story. Look what he says. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but a little lamb he had worked hard to buy. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing a lamb from his own flocks for food, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and served it to his guests. He tells this very heartfelt story, and now this is David's response. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he had stolen, and for having no pity. David gets all fired up about this guy. How could anyone do such a thing? And we can be just like David, can't we? I can be listening to a message and get all fired up about someone else's sin and forget about my own. David, in the midst of all this darkness, is capable of so much self-deception that he says, as surely as the Lord lives. I mean, he's using such spiritually sounding language. Any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. And then comes one of the most courageous statements in scripture. Imagine now what's going on inside Nathan. 
Uh, he's standing before the king, not just a friend or a peer. I mean, this is the king, David. And this is not the same David that shepherded sheep or defeated Goliath. This is a ruthless man. I mean, this is a liar, an adulterer, and a murderer. I mean, he didn't think twice about sacrificing the life of Uriah or the lives of who knows how many other uh, innocent soldiers. Nathan is risking his life, and he doesn't hesitate. He looks David in the eye and he says, you're the man, David. This is your story. This is how far you've fallen. This is the depth to which you have descended. This is your heart. This is your story, David. And then for who knows how, how long, there's just silence. And I'm sure the thought occurred to David. You know, I can just control this problem too. I took care of Bathsheba, I took care of Uriah, I took care of Joab, I took care of the army. This is just one man, one prophet. I can take care of him too. And I'll get rid of him and I'll be home free. No one will ever know. And I can make up for it. I can be a good king. I imagine there was a voice inside David that said those words because he had been listening to those words for a long time. But somewhere, somehow, there was another voice in David and that voice whispered to him about those days so long ago when he was just an innocent boy out shepherding sheep and God took care of him. That voice whispered to him about a day so long ago when he was so full of idealism and vision that he saw a pagan Philistine that was blaspheming God and all by himself he faced the giant and God delivered him. That voice reminded him of the exhilaration of what it was like to fight for God. And maybe that voice recalled his friend, Jonathan, who loved him so much and who said to him, David, don't ever forget you're the Lord's anointed. And maybe he remembered King Saul. And maybe that voice said, David, that's what you're going to turn into. You're so close. There's some Saul in you. And pretty soon Saul is all you'll be. For who knows how long David just stands there staring at this warning light. And then this miracle happens that sometimes does. And a heart that had been hard and cold and dead for so long just melted. The soul that had been walking in darkness for so long took its first weak, feeble step into the light. For who knows how long David just stands there. And his life and Nathan's life are on the line. Then David confessed to Nathan... I have sinned against the Lord. I'm the man in your story, Nathan. I'm the man who doesn't deserve to live. That's my sin. That's my story. And maybe you need that same miracle in your life, in your heart today. Maybe you don't even know it. Maybe like David, you've sat through messages and thought about the fallenness of other people, but today, for whatever reason, you're aware of the fallenness in your own heart. I want to ask you now, today, will you do what David did? Will you say to God right now, that's my sin. I'm the one in the story, God. I want to give you a moment to do this before Scott leads us in communion. And this is very important. I'd just like to ask you if you would just bow your head just for a minute and just close your eyes. There may be some area in your life and God has been trying to get through to you but for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. 
And God's waiting for you right now to just come to him in humility and brokenness and say, I'm the one in the story, whatever the area is. God, I'm tired of holding you off at arm's length. I'm tired of having to walk with this kind of darkness or brokenness or a guilt that I've been walking with. Would you deliver me from all of that? I want to ask you to just take some time right now and just list specifically before God what you need to be delivered from. Just take a moment of silent prayer and then Scott is going to lead us in communion. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.